brands are not humans, brands are brands, but all humans work for brands, right? And, and then we have humans on the other side of the equation, the talent and the celebrities. Every human in that equation has a soul. And every human wants to know that they're working for something greater than themselves. This is Brand Story, a podcast featuring in-depth conversations with leaders, marketers, and brand storytellers about their professional journey and the impact they're making on the world around them. Welcome to Brand Story. I'm your host, Steve Gilman, and my guest today is Laura Hutfliss. Laura is the co-founder of FlightView, a full-service entertainment marketing agency that helps brands connect with consumers via the power of pop culture and purpose. FlightView was Adweek's fastest-growing agency in 2020 and has also been included on the Inc. 5000 list and has so many impressive accolades, including a raft of Clios, an Emmy, and a Grammy Award, of all things. And before co-founding FlightView, Laura worked at the William Morris Agency and for many years as an agent at CAA, the Creative Arts Agency, really the top talent agency in the world. And Laura also serves on several boards, the Country Music Association, the Onsite Foundation, So, Laura, welcome to Brand Story. Thank you for being here today. Of course. I'm really excited. Yeah, I think we're going to have a great time talking. And I noticed as I was researching for this episode that you and I have something in common. Uh, You were an art major before all this started. Yes. Uh, My mom was an art teacher, so I think it's in my blood. I've always been encouraged to be creative and uh, develop that skill set. So I actually went to school for graphic design because – my first love was illustration, but my dad told me I needed a job that paid. <laughs> so so I was kind of forced in the graphic design uh, vertical. And after one internship at Huffy Bicycles, designing graphics on children's bikes, I decided that was not for me. <laughs> um, and I realized there are a lot more jobs in the creative field than just graphic design. So I was able, I'm really happy I was able to pursue uh, some other ways to use that skill set. That's so cool. So you moved to Nashville and you're trying to put it all together. And, you know, I have an art art background as well, art and theater. And uh, I love how people from the arts end up in our in our line of work because um, it takes a lot of empathy and it takes a lot of being able to see the world from different points of view. So you end up in Nashville and then eventually you worked for someone at William Morris. Yeah, that was my first real job in Nashville. Actually, yeah. was wow. assistant at William Morris. Uh, I ended up straight working on a desk, which is pretty rare. You usually have to go through the mailroom and there's a series of roles before you get uh, to be an assistant for an agent. But I had the graphic design skill. And at this time, she was one of the few agents uh, brokering endorsement deals, partnerships. And so she needed someone who could create PowerPoints and presentations. Uh, and so that skill ended up you know, helping me uh, climb the ladder rather quickly. Uh, and get into a field that was just emerging in music and entertainment. This was before social media. I think MySpace was the only thing that existed then. So, you know, this vertical has um, shifted, you know, over the past 20 years drastically. When I first started, talent and artists wouldn't t- even take commercial deals. They were considered selling out. And I believe John Mayer... Britney Spears. They were some of the first few to actually take deals. They were Pepsi deals. There's a Blackberry deal at the time, which was um, pretty innovative. So, you know, I was right at the forefront of uh, this space and I was really lucky just to start at a really young age and and have a really great mentor. Yeah. I mean, that's extraordinary. What, a, what an opportunity. So you went from there to CAA, which is, 
you know, if our audience don't know, doesn't know who CAA is, it's really the premier talent agency in the world. And you spent like six or seven years there, right? Seven years there. There were there was another step in between, but we we can skip right to CAA. <laughs> yeah, you were a ticket master, um, right? I was a Ticketmaster. Yeah. There is a, a small company called Echo, which Ticketmaster acquired. I was there for a few years um, until a, a big merger um, happened, IAC merger. So uh, actually, I, I started kind of brokering deals on my own as a third-party seller in CA noticed because I was working with other talent uh, and and then pursued me. It actually took me a minute to take that role at CAA. Reason being, you know, I was 20, mid-20s. I was making good money brokering these deals. Uh, you know, I, I now know why I was hesitant because I, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Like I love building things. The thing was at 25, I wasn't ready to build, right? I didn't have enough knowledge. Um, and I realized that I, I knew how to do the job, but especially at CA, there's so many things to learn from, you know, literary deals to, uh, film and TV deals and all the things I, I didn't know. And so I took that job and over the course of seven, almost eight years at CA, learned learned all of those areas and was able to put that knowledge and all those relationships I built into then building flight view when it was time to do that. When I was a bit older, had more wisdom, had more experience and, and was ready to be a true entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, timing's everything. And if you've got the entrepreneurial spirit, you're always sort of headed in that direction. And, you know, I can, I can relate. I've been an entrepreneur my entire life and run my own company for about 27 years. Yes, a lot more. So I'm excited to learn from you. Maybe after this, we can <laughs> reverse and I can ask all the questions. I'd love so. to. We can talk anytime you want. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I love your story because I think what's really unique about you is, and you know, you, you, FlightView is incredibly successful and I want to talk to you about FlightView in just one second. But I think what's so cool is that you have such an amazing spirit of giving back and bringing people together. And, you know, I've heard you talk about why why knowing what your why is is so important and that it's not a nice to have. So can you tell me a little bit about how that connects with you starting Flight View? So I loved my job at CAA. I loved the work. I loved connecting brands to talent, creating these big marketing campaigns and programs. Uh, I lost the why because I eventually realized I was making money for people who had a lot of it already. And I was selling products, right? I was selling cans of Chef Boyardee or cell phones or whatever, whatever it was. And and I realized that there, especially as social media platforms grew, that these talent had massive platforms. And when you bring the dollars from a corporation behind that, you can affect real change. If I can push someone to buy a product, I can maybe, you know, encourage them to think about an issue differently or encourage them to to take an action, you know, to, to give back or help their neighbor or put positivity in the world. It was like, wow, I, this is the momentum for real change, um, and real culture shift. But where I was sitting at CAA didn't allow me to really create campaigns in that way. Um, you know, where I was sitting, I was, I was getting the programs from brands and taking them to my talent. I really wasn't in the creation phase that's that on the brand side. Um, and so you know, enough of enough client or brands started asking me to come work for them that I realized, okay, there's a need on the brand side for someone who thinks about these programs a little differently. And if I'm going to go sit on the brand side, I want to be able to infuse purpose and change and positivity into these campaigns. And sitting there would give me the opportunity to do that. 
so that was the the reason to start flight view to say hey this stuff really works <laughs> you know leveraging the power of pop culture works for brands but let's do it in a way that you know changes the world to make it a better place that doesn't just sell a product now this was eight or nine years ago yeah you were early pretty innovative then now i think all brands have realized they need to stand for something and they need to connect to consumers in a, in a deeper and emotional way um so now it's it's not that revolutionary um but it was when we started and the good news is we've had you know all this time of really honing in our processes and the way that we do it and, and what works in this space so i, I feel we're we're best equipped to, to help brands move forward in this era. I mean, you have such a wealth of experience doing it. And, you know, there are tons of celebrity product partnerships without any soul over the years, you know, tons and tons. You know, we can think of a million. But I think what's so unique about what you all started doing and, you know, is now being copied is, you know, finding that purpose inside it. You know, purpose-based branding is very hot right now, but you all were doing it in such a cool way before it got hot. And I think it's really important to brands. And I think finding where a brand and a celebrity's interests intersect with an actual need in the world is extraordinary. Here's what I've learned over the years. You know, brands are not humans. Brands are brands. But all humans work for brands, right? And, and then we have humans on the other side of the equation, the talent and the celebrities. Every human in that equation has a soul. And every human wants to know that they're working for something greater than themselves. So if you can create a program that does that, everybody on the brand side, all the talent or all the partners, you know, you're going to get a lot more out of it because they feel like they're doing something greater than just swapping, you know, a paycheck, um, uh, you know, or selling a product. So one of the questions I ask to our clients as we're going through an onboard process and briefing process with all of them, the very last question I ask every single person on the call is the end of the day, at the end of this program, when we finish this program, what are you going to be most excited to tell your kids about or your parents, you know, depending on your, on your age. And that stops everyone in their tracks because they're typically asked, what are you going to be most excited about at the end? And the answer is always KPIs. I sold these products. I had this number of impressions, but when you say your kids or your family or your spouse, that stops them because you're not going to tell them about their KPIs. <laughs> you're going to tell them you helped them, you know, kids at St. Jude, or you raised money for a cause, or you, you know, in one of our programs, we created equal representation on festival stages. Like you did something to impact them that their world will be better because of what you worked on. And I find, you know, 10 out of 10 times, the programs that have a purpose that connect to everybody in the room are the ones that go smoothly, have better results. You know, everyone, uh, you know, comes in with more than what's contractually obligated um, and everyone feels really good at the end, no matter what the KPIs are or if they met them. Um, there's a greater purpose in mission. And it's, it's nice that I see other people um, happy and proud of their work. Um, Cause like I said, I've, you can like your work, but if there's a difference between liking it and being proud of it, um, and that was the difference for me making the switch from CA to Flight View. I liked my work, but I really wanted to be proud of it um, and, and feel like I was making a difference. What you all are doing is such good marketing and also such great brand work in that connecting with purpose and then having everyone buy in. I'm sure employees are happier on the brand side and on the agency side. And the celebrities get to do something they believe in depending on how the, the particular project is structured. So, you know, as we're talking about this, I, I want to make sure the audience understands a couple of different kinds of things you all do. 
So a couple examples that that I saw that I think are amazing. Of course, your Super Bowl ad with Serena Williams is is very notable. So we'll talk about that one, but I have a couple others that I really love. So you you did this entire effort with Serena Williams and and Bumble, um, the in her court campaign. It got so much press around the Super Bowl, and it was an all women led effort. Can you tell me a little bit about that because it's pretty extraordinary? Yeah, uh, well, I have I have to give credit to the. Uh, the founder of Bumble, Whitney Wolf, uh, when she first started the the brand years prior, uh, her slogan was, you know, the ball is in your court. Um, if, if you don't know much about Bumble, it's a female first dating app uh, and women make the first move. That's their differentiator. Uh, so the ball is in your court was, you know, really speaking that metaphor to what, what the app stood for and, and the differentiator. Uh, and so when know, she called called me probably earlier that year. And, and as she had expanded from Bumble Dating to Bumble BFF and Bumble Biz, um, she was really thinking about how do we communicate that the app is more than dating? It's really about connection and relationships and more equitable relationships. And she thought Serena Williams is really the icon, right? The one that represents it all uh, to a lot of women. And I said, that's great, but we don't have those dollars, right? And I knew what the Nike contract was and the, we're not close to that. Um, so we had to really think about a more creative way to approach Serena and what would really interest her. And with my experience on the talent side, uh, you know, I know that it's not always about money. Again, we talk about this purpose and mission and we're all driven by that. So if we can figure out, you know, what the purpose and the mission is in line with somebody who has that same one, it becomes less about the paycheck. Um, and so that's essentially what happened. Uh, we, you know, started conversations with Serena. Um, also, Bumble realized, um, you know, that in business, women were not receiving uh, even a portion of the funding that men uh, receive from venture capital groups. And so Bumble launched the Bumble Fund, which gives uh, women um, entrepreneurs uh, early investment, and specifically women of color. And so with that, that was very attractive to Serena, who's an investor herself. So Serena came in as an investor in the Bumble Fund um, and really lead advisor uh, and that was really the core of the partnership. And Super Bowl was an afterthought. So Super Bowl was, okay, how do we launch this in a big way and let the world know about this? It's like, let's launch this in Super Bowl because it is such a male-dominated event, especially marketing. And and uh, we quickly scrambled and, and pulled in some other agencies to help um, the MLYNR, worked on the creative, uh, and we worked together, built a team, and they did a wonderful job establishing a, an all-female creative team. Uh, and you know, shot the ad and, and got it out <laughs> in, in the timeline. Um, but it really was a three-year program. And that's that's a unique approach. You know, we didn't just create an ad and then cast Serena. And that's typically how those Super Bowl spots work. Um, we created a, a movement, you know, and a platform and found a partner who had the same heart for that platform. And it became a, you know, a long-term uh, partnership for both. Yeah, that's so much more sustainable. And then the ad is just an expression of what's already actually happening. You know, and I think that's something for brands and anyone listening to really understand is that when you do it and it's lip service or you do an ad and you talk about a cause, but you're not really putting in the work, um, consumers figure that out pretty quick now. So we actually have an approach for our own agency is is we don't talk about it, we just do it. And that's the advice we give also to our clients 
let your work speak for itself. We don't need to post that it's, you know, whatever appreciation month or whatever it is. We just need to make change. Like we just need to be doing things and that speaks louder than words. I, you know, I was always taught actions over words. And uh, I think that's, that's the advice we give to our clients. That's so cool. Well, you definitely have the heart of an artist for sure. I love how, <laughs> how you're bringing this change and, and bringing it together with so many different parts of, of the pop culture, of pop culture and media. It's a really cool, cool way to bring everything together. So one other example I want to talk about, and then I wanted to get on some other questions with you. Um, during the pandemic, you did a really meaningful campaign called Band Together with Barefoot Wines. And I just think that's such a cool example of bringing together purpose and and also bringing it together with, you know, a brand. So can you tell me a little bit about that one? We could probably talk about 30 of your projects, but I wanted to just pick a couple. Yeah, we did a lot during the pandemic. So I was, I was interested to see which one you were going to pull up. Uh, so Barefoot Wines. Um, you know, a, a fact about us as Americans is that when uh, hard times hit, um, alcohol sales go up. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and in this case, the drinking occasion moved to the home. Um, so people weren't going to bars or restaurants anymore. They were buying wine and liquor and bringing it home. Now, that's great for Barefoot, right, for, for their sales, but um, but not so great for restaurants um, or hospitality workers. And so Barefoot realized that. We realized that and wanted to put together a campaign that gave back to those folks. Um, and so I think that just is something that's great about America. Um, and this was led by a team that had a lot of heart. And instead of saying, we're going to capitalize on this moment, it's like, no, we, we have to make sure everyone is taken care of here. Um, and so we created a really fun at-home experience that was activated through some revolutionary AR technology that when you scanned the bottle of Barefoot, um, a Black Eyed Peas um, music experience uh, came to life. And what was unique about that technology is that as you added bottles to the frame, more characters in the band continued to to show up on the screen, uh, there were more layers of the music that came in. Um, so that that was a unique technology that we used for that. Um, and Black Eyed Peas, um, specifically Will I Am, came in, and he actually created the animations himself. Wow. That's so um, cool. The artwork. I mean, he is a oh, true artist. Yeah, Talk about really art um, across really all verticals. Yeah. And he had such a vision for this, and was so excited because for him too, it was giving back um, during that really hard time when this was right in 2020. So it was when nobody knew how long this was going to be or what was happening. Um, and so we all came together and focused and they were launching a new album as well at the time. And so this gave, you know, a platform for them to release new music as well. And, and everybody won. And I, I think it did win, win some awards that year too. I remember noticing it because, you know, I, like many, I worked in fine dining and waiting and worked in hospitality, my, you know, to work my way through school and yeah, pay for it. As did I. Yeah. Most, most people around the arts have. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. those are the people that, that they really suffered professionally during the pandemic. So I was so glad to see brands step up and help. And, you know, there were a lot of brands that talked about it, but I thought the thing that you all did with Barefoot and the Black Eyed Peas was one of the most exceptional efforts. So I really applaud you guys on that. Thank you. Yeah, that was really fun. A lot of our programs, we try to integrate technology, um, which was also helping because the agency is a small agency that developed that technology. Uh, you know, it gave them a job during the pandemic to, to bring that life campaign to life. We we had a lot of programs. I'm really proud of our team. I think the pandemic was really a period where a lot of agencies faltered, you know, that, especially in the event space. Um, but 
you know, our team really came together, finding innovative ways to bring campaigns to life, transitioning events to virtual and all the things we had to do during that time, which honestly, I believe we are better for now um, because we have so many more tools uh, in our toolbox now moving into 2023, um, having been through those those years. It's crazy to say that it was good for us in some ways, isn't it? It was scary. It was terrifying. It was terrible. But, you know, I think in the agency world, there are people who had a lot of problems. And then there are people who, you know, just dug deep and did what they needed to do and figured it out and led through it, you know, led through the uncertainty. I had Kristen Cavallo, the CEO of the Martin Agency, on the podcast. And, you know, they, they just jumped right in and did much of the same thing, started solving problems, helping people, employees and clients and, you know, the trying to help people out in the world too. And I think that's such an incredible instinct. Yeah. I think it, any tough time always leaves a gift. Uh, if that, if that, you know, if you choose to, to have that perspective and I think the gift to agencies in that time frame was just innovation. You know, it forced you to use new tools, think about things differently. You know, half the tools in the toolbox you couldn't use <laughs> anymore. Um, so you had to learn some new ones. And, and the agencies that could refocus, could see this as an opportunity and innovate are the ones who not just survived, but thrived during that time. Um, and I think it's all about mindset and perspective. I also think and hope that it, it made us all a little bit more human and made us appreciate, you know, each other, colleagues, employees. I started this podcast during the pandemic because I really missed talking one-on-one with people that I respect and, you know, wanted to help. I've always been a storyteller and wanted to tell people stories because that's what I love. And I think it made us see each other a little bit more than maybe we had. So being an entrepreneur and a leader has a ton of challenges. You started your own company and, you know, I've, I've, heard you talk about something that's really near and dear to me about being human at work and seeing people that you work with as not like, you know, leave your, leave your life at home. And, you know, at business, you're a business person. And I've talked to Claude Silver, the chief heart officer at Vayner, and a bunch of people about this. Um, so can you talk to me a little bit about your philosophy around that? There's a saying that says you're a human being, not a human doing. And we're human beings that you know have so many different parts of our lives i don't believe you can separate those um especially in the virtual world now (laughs) where we're you know working at home and next minute i'm feeding a one-year-old and i'm taking a conference call you know on my ear pods your lives are intertwined and we have to realize that the people that are working with us and for us, their lives are just as important and intertwined as ours. Um, and, and I think it's that empathy that allows you to be a good leader and have perspectives. And I don't always get it right. Like we don't. Um, sometimes we have to have to turn around and, and make amends. I, I will say, because a good example of that, um, you know, I was single and uh, for 40 years, you know, we're working and spending all hours of the night working, building businesses. Uh, and then last December, I decided to adopt uh, my little girl on my own. And I remember, you know, in previous jobs when parents took off because their nannies were sick or they had to go to soccer practice, you know, the work 
I felt like the work got dumped on me and I had to pick it up. And there was a lot of bitterness there. And I didn't understand why, you know, that happened. Well, and so I was pretty um, stringent on my maternity and paternity leave policies when I set up Flightview, I will say. Uh, when my daughter was born, she was born three months early. I spent three months in the NICU. Uh, and I quickly realized <laughs> that it is very difficult to be a mother, a working mother, um, much less a single working mother, uh, and very quickly changed my maternity and paternity leave policies. And I realized that was not the right perspective, but I, I could not have that perspective until I walked the journey. Um, and so, you know, as a leader, we we have to try our very best to understand, even if we haven't uh, lived in those shoes. I, I will say what we did alongside that maternity paternity leave policy is we also offered uh, a policy that if you've been with the company um, several years, then you could take a sabbatical because not everyone has children, right? And some other people need time off to go pursue their passions or what they're uh, excited about in life and maybe just need a break sometimes. And so we really revamped when I came back, we revamped that whole policy to say, okay, there's there's time, no matter what stage you're in in life, your kids are out of the house, you're just starting a family, whatever it is, there are blocks of time for you to step away to you know be able to to balance your life because it's life. Good for you. And I think that's, it's happened more in business and I can't, it's really hard to even imagine and remember how rigid it used to be. You know, how many companies were like, no, you're, you will be here from these hours to these hours. That's the world we grew up in. So I think now that we are leaders, we need to look back and say, okay, just because we had to do it doesn't make it right. Yeah. I mean, I, I started my own company for the sole reason of trying to do it, do the whole thing in a more humane, generous way. You know, I think when you have great people, you treat them the absolute best that you can and you, you actually listen you know, and you try to help and that's the best you can do. And, you know, so I, I really love that you all have all those policies and the way that you approach this. I really admire it. And you all are known for a couple of things, but something that a lot of businesses don't do and is very inspiring is, you know, you're, you're doing all these campaigns that bring community back and, and help change cultures and all these things, but you also have the flight view fund. And that's something really rare, I think. Can you tell me about how that came about? Because talk about putting your money where your mouth is. This is my favorite part. So when Jeremy and I started the company, uh, we we went to a little cabin in the woods and mapped out, you know, what we thought the agency would be. Now, looking back, the business plan has completely changed, uh, as probably for every entrepreneur getting into this. But one thing hasn't. And from day one, 10% of everything that comes in the door we give back to uh, nonprofits in the community. Um, so from the first dollar that started now, over the course of eight years, that's increased. And so we're up to 15% across uh, eight years, which comes up to about 1.2 million. Um, we've been able to give back um, because we, we held to that. You know, we, we've never, never um, shifted from that perspective. We always believed we were gonna be successful or we were gonna measure our success by how much we're able to give, not make. And you look at it that way, it puts everything into perspective, puts everything else into perspective. Um, so some fun things that we did when we first started out, uh, you know, the, the give back numbers were a bit smaller, um, you know, until our revenues grew, um, but we would write blank checks for our staff and our staff got to fill in 
who they wanted to give it to. And then they were required to go deliver it in person. So that was really fun. Every year we would do kind of the big give back day. Everyone really looked forward to that. Uh, then as we grew, you know, the amounts grew. And so we started an official fund now, and now our staff can request grants. Um, we have some talent actually, and some clients who have requested grants. Uh, most recently, um, one of our clients, Chico's, uh, is is based in Florida, and they were really affected by Hurricane Ian. Um, almost, you know, a good number of their staff lost everything. Um, and so in that case, we were able to write, you know, a grant from the fund uh, to help those employees and and help that team, you know, get back on their feet. And so that's what we use the fund for is to help those that, you know, who have supported us um, to give back to the community. And and there's a whole plethora of organizations that we've given to that have all been chosen by our staff. That's so amazing. And I think, you know, when you think about brand, and I talk to a ton of brand leaders and have been in this industry for a really long time, you know, the through line between who you are and what you care about, the work you do, and the fund is a straight line. I mean, it is like that. that's what most brands aspire to be is to really to because the work you're doing trying to build community and make change of course a company like yours would think to also have a fund that gives back my parents taught me when i was young you can't outgive god and anything that we have is not really ours right we've been blessed with it the, the fact that i was born in the u.s to middle class parents was able to have an education i didn't do any of those things i can't claim any of that and i can just be thankful that you know the god of the universe you know, already put me on third base <laughs> out in this world. And so, gosh, I need to hold everything with an open hand that none of that is mine. Even the skills and talents that each of us are given, like I, I didn't choose those. Um, I may have developed them, but I, I just think when you have the perspective of none of this is mine, it's much easier to hold it with an open hand um, than if you claim that, you know, you earned it and it's yours. That's much harder to give. Um, I just find there's so many fun stories when we, uh, have given back, uh, and it, that's what drives me just to see our team too. also engage. We have, um, one employee who's been working with an organization for 10 plus years through our company. And, and now he sits on the board and he's very involved and it was, you know, it was his time, but also our dollars that opened that door for him. And, and it's just so nice to see them take those, that money and double it and triple it and host their own fundraising campaigns. And, and suddenly that, that generosity is multiplied. Um, and I think at the end of the day, if someone says, what are you most proud of? Like that, that's it. Um, there'll always be other clients. And as you know, an agency's clients, <laughs> clients come and go and, and it's really the people and the impact that you've made that that stays and, and that you can be really proud of. Well, that's also what gets you through good times and bad times and growth and challenges is, you know, I love what you said about it being about what you can give, not what you can get. That, I mean, that is the heart of a great brand right there. And I think more brands, I hope, will learn from that as we, because it works in the world today, thank God. And it's pretty cool. You know, I think we come from a business system in America about like, what can I get and what's mine? And you still see a lot of greed and a lot of like me first, you know? So thanks for being part of the solution, not the problem. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Um, so let me ask you a couple of questions about you. What's a trait of yours that you think, that you used to think was a weakness and now you think is a strength? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, I used to, th so I'm, I'm very direct. <laughs> uh, 
what you see is what you get. Uh, I don't sugarcoat anything. And I think in the, the corporate environment, that was a weakness. Uh, you know, I, I ruffled a lot of feathers. I was a bull in a china shop. Like, a, you know, processes were made to be broken. So yeah, we right. could figure out better ways. And that's actually a heart of an entrepreneur. I can relate to that. I did that everywhere I've ever been. Yeah. I think that drive and that ability to see, you know, new and better ways to do things uh, and, you know, not take no for an answer that that wasn't always appreciated in a corporate environment. It is as an entrepreneur. So I see that as, wow, that was my special strength. I just wasn't in the right environment to use it. And, and now I am. That's really cool. So what's something that you can't go a day without doing? A day without doing? Um, praying. I, I literally, I don't know what I would do without that hope. I think I've just been through so many ups and downs in life. Uh, and I know this life is fragile. Um, and I'm just thankful. I think praying for me is gratitude for every breath I have, every day I have, every opportunity I have. And so when I start to lose that gratitude and that thankfulness, you know, I, I don't, the version of myself that shows up in the mirror isn't one that I like. So I think just starting the day off with prayer and thankfulness and, you know, um, just acknowledging that. I am not God and, and I'm not in control, but, uh, there's a greater source who is. And I think that's, that keeps me, those are my best days. That's wonderful. I think gratitude and faith are so important. So good for you. I think that's a really cool answer. What's an event in your life? And you've had a lot, you've had a lot of changes, a lot of, you know, joys and tragedies and like us all, but what event in your life do you think has shaped you most as a person? Oh, there's so many to, to point to. I lost somebody who was really close to me in 2019. He was a survivor of a mass shooting of Columbine. Um, and so when he he died of a drug overdose. And so it, it opened my eyes. I think that that time in my life opened my eyes to um, trauma and grief and in so many ways in, in the addiction community, but also in the, you know, survivors of mass shootings and just so many groups of of people who are hurting in so many different ways. And so I, I started to do a lot of work myself in understanding, um, you know, e emotional wellness. And, and I joined the board of the Onsite Foundation. I became president of the Onsite Foundation. And, and I always say there's there's a gift in, in the pain and if, if you choose to find it. And uh, there were many gifts that, that came out of that time period, but I had never really experienced um, a sudden loss like that, unexpected. Your whole world changes in an instant, right? In a phone call. Um, I always thought, what would it be like if I got a phone call and it changed your life? Well, I've walked that journey now. Um, and I think that changed me as a human. And, and in the most important way is understanding life is short. Like you are not promised another day. So make the most of this one. Um, I think that also led me to the decision to adopt Evelyn in that life is short, you know, you get, you get one go of this. And, and, um, it opened my eyes to, to groups that needed love and, and children was one and finding Evelyn who needed a home and needed love. And I had it to give, um, I think, you know, no time to waste. Let's, let's, let's do this. And so I think it, that time period really changed my perspective and what was important. Um, 
you know, work isn't important. It's it's impact we're making and how we're changing people's lives. So that was a big shift in my life in so many ways. I bet. And, you know, it certainly fits with what you do, but transcends it. And, you know, grief and, you know, losing someone suddenly does change who you are. And it does give you a different perspective. It makes you, can make you very grateful. There's a lot of different paths people take when that happens to them. So you certainly have seemed to challenge it and, and, and channel it in some really positive ways. But, you know, uh, I, I think of grief as something that you stays with you, but also there, like you said, there's some gifts inside it as well. Yeah. I, I don't know what the opposite you say, you know, you can, you can take it and you can channel it. Yeah. Yes. I think if I look back at my life, that is what people say. I'm resilient. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. what, it's why I'm like that. It's like, okay, something happened. I can either choose to find a gift in this and create something good of it. Or I can stay stuck in the grief. And while staying stuck feels a little bit more comfortable, right? Because yeah, it's a little it feels easier. easier for all of us. Yeah. You know, I look down that path and the end of that path doesn't look so great, but but choosing to, you know, turn it into something good or find find the gift in it. If I look down that path, you know, there's hope and there's light. And so I just don't know. I, I just feel like I, you don't have a choice, yeah. <laughs> really. You know, I, I think for me, that's what I, how I've always felt about kind of any hardship, even the pandemic. We just talked about that. It's like, man, something happens. It's you can either sit and wait and hope something happens, or you can adjust your sales and you know, discover new territories. And that seems a lot more exciting and fun to me. And so I think that's been my life mantra um, is just adjust your sales. I think that uh, mantra and your, your, you know, your background in the arts all the way through wanting to help people and coping with tragedy, like it, it has a real through line. And I really respect what, what you've been through and how you've dealt with it because a lot of people do stay stuck, you know? So that entrepreneurial spirit you have of picking yourself up and moving forward I think uh, I think that's to be applauded. Now I can accredit my mom for the art, you know, gene that she gave me. Now my father was military, so I can credit him Got to some discipline there. Yeah, Laura, yeah, some discipline, and you know, Laura, stop crying, or I'll give you something to cry about. You know, you, you get up and you get back back at it. So uh, I think between the two, they really came together. <laughs> the be- the best came together. That's a good mix, actually. You know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Like I had a father that was a lifelong entrepreneur, so. It was so instilled in me by the time, you know, and then other people around me, they're very creative. And it's amazing how your experiences, you know, really do turn you into who you are. So my final question I always ask everyone is that if they could go back and give their younger self any advice, what advice would you give? Don't compare. I was just telling a friend the other day, I remember the first time I actually compared myself to someone else. It was kindergarten. That's how early it started. And she's out there somewhere. I'm sure I've lost touch with her, but there was a little girl named Leanne Woodward and she had the best singing voice. And up until meeting her, I loved singing. I would sing in the choir. I had all the solos. And then I heard Leanne. I thought she was better than me and I stopped singing and I never sang since. And it's developed into a fear of karaoke. Like I really have a fear of singing in public. And I think back to, wow, I actually don't have a bad singing voice, but it all started because I compared myself to somebody else and and thought I was less than. Um, And I think of how many times in life we do that. We don't move forward with something because we think someone's 
better or they're farther along than we are. This is where we should be. Even in parenthood, you know, this child is walking before mine, mine's behind. Like you, everything is a game of comparison. And now with social media, it's impossible not to see images that that we compare ourselves to. And so I, I think I would have told my my younger self like just run your own race and and looking back like now I look back you're going to be really proud of it but just keep your eyes focused you know you, God has a plan for you and just keep keep running that race that's really beautiful I think everyone has their own unique story and you're right comparison just it's something you have to be really mindful about so thank you again for being here um I had this has been such a great conversation I thought it would be and it was it's been just wonderful so thank you for being so generous and so open I really appreciate it thank you want to hear more inspiring stories subscribe on your preferred podcast app so you don't miss an episode and if you like what we're doing please rate, review, and share. It's the best way to support us. Thank you for listening to Brand Story.